It's time to bet it all. This is Bet MGM Tonight, live from BetQL. And live from the nation's capital, that's PJ Glasser, Nick Ashew, Bet MGM Tonight. Watch us on Twitch, twitch.tv slash BetQL. YouTube, the Odyssey app, also 1.30 Eastern. Every weekday you can watch. Send it in. We gotta let me finish, and then we'll promote it. Oh, Come on so now, PJ. Sorry. I was, I was getting all, your moment. I was you know? all excited. I know you. You did get giddy. I did get giddy. What's the thing you do with the bat again? What do you say? Glasses in session. Glasses in session. <laughs> you are you are the best. Isn't that good? A tiny little bed MGM wooden bat and glasses in session. That's my that's some of my uh. best work, Nick. There really is some of my best work. There are a lot of puns with your name. Ve- that very we much can so. Use. And some that I didn't even think of. I gotta give credit credit to my producer, Sean Hall. Like he thought of like big league Peach for MLB. Like yeah. that's that's a really solid one. I like that. I thought of uh, now we talk obviously playoff basketball and hockey every day, so we've been going with the playoff page, kind of a play on playoff P, of course, mm-hmm, Paul George. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we, we have some fun on the show. It's I, a good time, and that's what it's all about. It's a good time. That's, that's what it is. What it Puns with PJ's about. name, I'll take it every single time. <laughs> Keith Smith jumps on with us now. Spot track. Uh, we talk. I feel like it's almost every other week at this point, and there's always something going on, whether it's the Celtics or the – we'll get to the Celtics and the latest what's wrong with the Celtics or are they – I feel like it was it was alternating every week with you. But let's look at the NBA Finals. Game 2 now, 1-1 series. We head to Miami now. Uh, heading into the series, now given what you've seen in the first two games, has your uh, expectation for either team or for the way it was going to go changed at all? No, not really. I thought it was going to be a seven-game series to begin with. I have that level of respect for Miami. They, they they just fight. They battle. They execute better than most teams do. And they're going to be in this thing the whole way. So I thought, even though Denver won game one, Miami was right there. If they made more shots you know, in game one, they would have been there. And then they made everything in game two as has been kind of their uh, uh, MO throughout the course of these playoffs. So I think we're in for a seven-game battle. Yeah, it's. I mean, what are you thinking for Game Three, Keith? Because Nick and I were kind of talking off the top. You know, after Game One, I think everybody just thought Denver was going to steamroll them, and then here comes Miami again on the road. They win as big dogs. We've seen them in this spot in the first three rounds. They steal at least one game on the road. They come home for Game Three. They're three and zero in Game Three at home. You think they make it four and zero? think they have a chance if they make enough jumpers that they're they're going to be there that seems to be the bellwether for them is if the jump shots are falling or not that they seem to have been able to lock denver in a little bit defensively in game one it was Jokic the playmaker setting everybody up in game two Jokic did all the scoring and they really stayed home on all those shooters and cutters and really did a nice job and that's not how Jokic wants to play so so that turns into a little bit of a mess uh for denver if that's going to be how it goes so i think we're in a spot where we're going to see them basically try to stay locked in as much as they can uh on those guys play it the same way mix up their defenses throw that zone look at them but the nuggets are going to have some stuff prepared so it's probably going to be a good close game but if miami's jumpers are falling they're they're proud they're they're in good shape to steal another one yeah i mean the Jokic and just making him a scorer was one of the conversations and the strategies kind of you know people expected right they're oh and three when Jokic scores 40 or more points in the playoffs 13 and one when he scores fewer than 40 like we've seen a lot of these stats and these numbers and he only had four assists had five turnovers it just wasn't a Jokic game which is what miami wanted if we look at now what counters can be, it's all about right the game plan and these coaches and countering and the strategy and the chess in, after each game. What do you think we'll see from the Nuggets in game three? Because, I mean, Michael Porter Jr. was a mess. 
I know that because he consistently has let me down, and I'm done betting anything on him, that's for sure. Uh, but even you know, Jamal Murray, it wasn't a great, especially the start, not a good start for him at all. What do you expect from the Nuggets to try and counter what they saw from the Heat in Game 2? You're going to see two things. One, I think they're going to play quicker. I think they're going to try to really up the tempo. Miami wants this to be a rock fight. They want it to be low possessions, keep it extremely slow, play paced game so that they can stay in it because they they know they can't beat the Nuggets you know, in a uh, shootout. They they're just they just don't have the offense to be able to do that. And then I think the other thing for Denver is I look for them to run some more off-ball stuff instead of their, where it's one player counting on somebody kind of breaking down and being able to back cut them or pop for a shot. I think you'll see them do more things where it's get the ball up, get into an action, and then run it and then see if there's a secondary maybe even a third action that that you can go to on a possession, but that it necessitates getting the ball up the floor and getting into something before there's like 10 seconds left on the shot clock. Keith, I think the thing we all try and figure out with Miami in these series is like who that role player is going to be. That's, that's great in that specific series. Obviously, it was Caleb Martin against Boston. Gabe Vincent was great yesterday. I kind of think Max Struess, though, might be the guy just because he's jacked up 10 threes in game one and game two. Like the volume is there. Do you think he would be a guy to look at because he, he's a good shooter and he's just going to continue to shoot and Denver is clearly fine with giving him looks? Yeah, Max Drews or Duncan Robinson, one of those two guys is going to be the ones who's going to have to make a lot of jump shots uh, for the Heat to be able to win. And and I think Strews is a good, good pick there. Denver is a pretty good defensive team when, when they really lock in but they almost always have at least one guy on the floor that you can kind of go at and that's been Michael Porter Jr. so far in this series he tends to lose guys off ball and if that's a shooter like Struess or Duncan Robinson or even Caleb Martin to some extent he, he hasn't really gotten it going just yet but if, if you're able to pick on Porter by you know just kind of running those guys along the baseline running you know a series of you know um, seven cuts or uh, you know inside out AI cuts those those kind of things that you can run uh, to free up those shooters, you can lose Porter. He, he, he'll defend an initial action probably just fine. It's that second, third thing as you get deeper into the clock. That's where it gets a little hard on him. So that's Struess, Robinson, or maybe Martin. Any one of those three guys is capable of having a big shooting night. Talking to Keith Smith, BetMGM tonight. Do you think we'll see Tyler Hero at all in this series? Report today, still some swelling and soreness in his broken hand. It just feels like at this point they're prolonging it to just be like, maybe he's going to be back. It, I, <laughs> I, I, I don't expect him to be back. Do you? Yeah, I don't know. It's hard because you know we saw him towards the end of the Boston series starting to do some encore work, but they said at that time it wasn't really close, right? He still had scar tissue that was breaking down and those sorts of things. So my guess is as long as they're they're right there, we may not see him. But this could be one where by the time you get to game four, game five, if you kind of feel like you need to break him out, you, you throw him out there because if he can just give you 10 minutes, 15 minutes and get you 8-10 points, that's better than most of what you're bringing off your bench right now. So maybe, but but as long as they continue to get through just fine, they're probably not going to push it to put him back out on the floor, especially if he's going to be limited at all. Keith, I want to talk about what's going on around the league and this head coaching cycle. There, There's always one hire that just kind of like you scratch your head and you're like, that's who they went with. And for me, when Phoenix signed Frank Vogel, that was one of those that I was like, "What? what is going on? What were your thoughts with that hire? Like, were, were you surprised by that? And, and do you like the fit with him in Phoenix? I was a little bit surprised because he wasn't part of that initial candidate group. 
But I like the fit. I think he's a very good coach. I think you know, he won a title with, with the Lakers and then did immediately proceeded to get absolutely no credit at all. And then when he left and everything kind of went sideways, it just you know, wasn't quite as good. So so I think you know, I think he's a really good, solid coach. I think he knows what he's doing. I think when you give him the right kind of team, he'll do some stuff. I'm going to go out on a limb here and say – DeAndre Ayton has his best year that he's had in the NBA under Frank mm-hmm. Vogel. I think he's going to put him in a place to really do some stuff defensively. And, and you know, this is a guy who had Roy Hibbert playing at an all-star level. Well, DeAndre Ayton has a lot of physical talents that are, are close to what Roy Hibbert had. So I think there's a chance we're going to see uh, him really develop defensively and offensively. It's almost, you know, kind of idiot-proof, right? Make sure Booker and Durant get plenty of shots. Chris Paul will likely still be there. Just let him be the one who's setting those guys up, and you're probably probably moving on into, you know, 50 wins and into a pretty good team. The big thing for the Suns, beyond Frank Vogel, you got to add some depth to that roster because right now the depth is really, really weak. They, they they just emptied so much out to trade for KD that they just had nothing left. So you got to get that solved because Kevin Durant at this point, 60 is probably the, the high watermark for games for him in a season, just given the way it's gone. And Booker isn't always the picture of health himself. So, so you got to have somebody in there to eat up those minutes in the regular season. Yeah, and if you're going to keep DeAndre Ayton, that's a trade piece, obviously, that they now won't use, and you got to find other ways to fill out that roster. Uh, Joe Missoula in the Celtics. It's time. It's time to get to your Celtics, Keith. Uh, (laughs) If Nick Nurse had still been available, more coaches still on the market, was there any chance that they would consider or have considered moving on from Joe Missoula, or was that no matter what happens in these playoffs, this is our guy? I don't know that I'm going to go as far to say no matter what happens. I think if they had gone out in game four against Miami the way they lost game three, which was embarrassing, and the team kind of quit and they just fell apart, I think then you may have seen uh, the Celtics make a move and said, you know what, we, we got to do something here. We, we can't – we got swept, and it was an embarrassing fashion. But I think once they started showing fight in game four, and then they forced a game seven and game seven didn't go well, but you know, there's a lot of reasons for that. And a big chunk of that is Miami played very, very well and executed very well. I think that locked him in to, to coming back. And a big part of that too is they, when they gave him the full-time job in February, they also extended his contract and then they're not going to pay him to not coach for them because he wasn't going to get another head coach job. This isn't like Monty Williams or Nick nurse where, you know, if they left with money still on the table, it was going to get offset and come off the board. No one's going to hire Joe Mazzula as a head coach this off season. So I think they're, they're comfortable with, Hey, let's do this. They added Sam Cassell to his staff. They're, they're going to continue to flush out that staff with experienced guys. And I think they feel like, Hey, if we give them a, a an experienced staff of guys who've been around and done this, he'll start to really improve even more because, you know, first year head coach got all the way to game seven of the East finals, especially a guy who didn't even know he's going to be the coach until right before training camp. I think he can live with that. Keith, what do you think is the next step for Boston? Like what's going to get him over that hump to finally win an NBA finals? Yeah, I, some of it is patience-related, right? I mean, they, they were in the finals a year ago. They were right there on the doorstep again this year. And I know that's tough because it feels like we've been saying be patient for you know half a decade now. Um, but the reality is they've got a really good team. I think there's a chance they're going to move on from at least one of the guards the, this summer. I tend to think it's Malcolm Brogdon uh, only because I know he won six-man of the year, but he had also had a healthy season. And that was his first healthy season since his uh, 
his rookie season in $22.5 million for a backup guard that starts to get a little rich. So I think, you know, if they move him in a trade that allows them to rebuild their depth a little bit, I do think they're going to re-sign uh, Jalen Brown and offer him that Supermax extension and kind of let, let the issues that that could create with the luxury tax, let those be tomorrow's problems, and they'll figure it out then. But I think for the most part, you're going to see them run this group back um, fairly intact with a handful of moves around the edges of the rotation and just hope you know everything you know kind of comes together a little bit better uh, at the end of the season than it did uh, this year. Keith, what do you make of the uh, Kyrie Irving recruiting LeBron to Dallas report? Yeah, it's nice. I said on uh, front office show, which I do with Trevor, my buddy Trevor Lane every day, I said, yeah, that's like if there's a plate of cookies, well, I want the cookies. So <laughs> you know, that sounds good, right? That he want LeBron, but I mean, how's that going to happen? They don't have anything to offer the Lakers that would even remotely interest them. So I think that becomes a major, major issue for, um, you know, any kind of trade idea there. And the whole idea of LeBron maybe takes a, uh, you know, takes a, um, the buyout that seems ludicrous to me. He's not even started his new extension yet. That doesn't even start till July first, and that's forty-seven million dollars. I can't even imagine why the Lakers would remotely entertain him doing a buyout just to set him free to go to a conference rival. No chance. What do you think the Lakers do end up doing this offseason? I think you're going to see them look pretty similar to the group that finished out this year. And that's not the worst thing in the world. They became a pretty solid team once they had a roster that makes sense. You know, shocking that once you got rid of, you know, 13 shooting guards and added actual size and point guards to the roster, you became pretty good. Um, but, you know, re-sign Austin Reeves, re-sign Rui Hachimura. I know D'Angelo Russell isn't everybody's favorite guy right now in, in Los Angeles, but but if you bring him back on a reasonable enough deal, you've got a good deep team. Um, you'll probably get a move or two around the edges of the rotation, but for the most part, run it back and you'll see, see what you can do uh, headed, headed into to next season because you became a pretty solid team. And yeah, they, they got swept out by the Nuggets, but they were in most of those games. They were right there. So, you know, I don't think you want to overreact to that part of the end of the season either. Yeah, it felt like a whimper for a team that actually really turned things around after the trade deadline, which they had, I think, the best record in the NBA after the trade deadline, right, with that group that they put together. So they, I mean, it, it makes sense. And I, I think there's a lot more balance on that team given what we saw. You're right, it's a million shooting guards, and it's Russell Westbrook trying to figure out who he is now at this point in his career. Keith Smith, always good talking to you, man. Thanks for coming on. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I, it's it's fun to have these games, and we're going to have a lot more of this conversation in the offseason of, like, rumors or, like, this player's recruiting this guy. Just... Just take a deep breath and think about this logically. It ain't happening. Dallas doesn't have enough to give up. I, I mean, but this is what makes the offseason in the NBA silly fun. Silly season. Because, you know, there was a right silly season. There was a point where we looked at the Cavs as a team that could take the next step from taking a big step the year before. And then they go out of nowhere and get Donovan um, Mitchell. Yeah. And then the expectations are through the roof, but then they fall short in the playoffs. Right. So now they need another guy. They need another star to go along with Mitchell. Nick, one of my biggest pet peeves, when you say the hockey game starts at 8, oh, and we're still going through eight? pregame at 8.15. TJ, you know how this works. Bothers They got to get you in early. Bothers They got to keep you there, and then you got to just sit and wait. So, all right, sometimes you hear reports, you know they're complete BS. We did have one of those today. The awkward conversation about a dumb report next. It's been MGM tonight.